the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. What the Taylor Swift saga teaches us, and then what is now the largest segment of the American church? You're listening to The Common Good. Happy Monday, friends. Welcome to The Common Good here on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Aubrey Sampson. My name is Brian Fromm. Aubrey, Thanksgiving week is here. The kids don't have much school this week. The turkey is hopefully... It's at least in your mind cooking right now. The sides are ready to go. Are you ready for Thanksgiving? Uh, I am. Am I ready? I'm psychologically psychologically ready. very ready. Is my to do list done? No, it'll never be done. It'll never be done, says a man who's not hosting for Thanksgiving. <laughs> <laughs> I am a man, and we are not hosting. I will, I will go with both of no, those. No, I'm excited. It feels like a fun. There, it, like some holiday energy is in the air. Our house is all decorated for Christmas, inside and outside. The chill. It's chilly out there. We saw a little snow, and all of that makes me very excited for Thanksgiving and for the holiday season. Yeah, a lot of snow for our friends over in Michigan. I wasn't able to go see my daughter this weekend because they had so much lake effect snow, but uh, she's coming home for Thanksgiving, so all good. And hopefully everybody is ready. Thanksgiving week is finally upon us. But Aubrey, an even bigger story than Thanksgiving. Okay, let's hear it. Taylor Swift. See, you have three boys, so I would doubt anyone in your family would be called a Swifty. No one Maybe in my yourself. family is. If anyone's going to be, it's going to be me. That's true. Um, and I do like Taylor Swift. I've been listening to the new album. But yes, no one in my family is a Swifty. But your family has many girls in it. Yes, there are, <laughs> there are females in my house. And so the youngest girl in my house, Emily, she is in the eighth grade. Loves herself some Taylor Swift. Hey. So not so much my older daughter, although yeah. they'll listen together, and definitely not my son. Uh, but my youngest daughter is such a fan to the point we decided the other day, we're going to try to dive in <gasps> and see if we can navigate the system to try to get Taylor Swift tickets. Okay, you are cool parents. That is amazing. The key word there, though, was tried. Because this became a whole thing, right? A fiasco oh and man. it was uh at the feet of Ticketmaster. so there were there were ways you had to do it right it was kind of a lottery system and you had to get a number and all this kind of stuff so we kind of got in but like many people we were not able to get tickets and now Ticketmaster apologized they were like this was much bigger than we ever thought it was and taylor swift says watching the fiasco has been excruciating she said this I'm not going to make excuses for anyone because we ask them, that being Ticketmaster, multiple times if they could handle this kind of demand. And we were we were assured that they could, but they ultimately were not able to. Taylor Swift added that it was truly amazing that 2.4 million people got tickets. By the way, let's do a little bit of math there. Unbelievable. Yeah, I let's mean, do the math. I got my calculator out right now. Let's just pretend that Taylor Swift 
Okay. These tickets were in the hundreds and thousands of dollars. I can't even do the math on this. She just made some money. Let's just pretend that Taylor Swift herself made, on average, $200 per ticket. Okay. And there were 2.4 million tickets sold. Do the math for me. That's a lot of millions. <laughs> that's a lot of monies. That's a lot of, that's stacks on stacks on stacks. That is $500 what million. Dollars. That in is. the world. So it is good to be Taylor Swift. It's good to be Taylor Swift, but not good to be you trying to get tickets for your daughter. So what so about angry fans? We're, now we're, what? We're going to try to, like other people, we're going to try to find some way. I'm going to, this has become a um, yes. a thing for me. I like, want you to be able to find these. We're going to figure this out. I really want you to be able to. So here's what amazed me by it. Yeah, the tell price, me everything. Aubrey, for some of these, especially in Chicago, the cheapest you're doing before the secondary market like in the upper, upper, upper deck at Soldier Field is like two hundred dollars a ticket. Un- but so so floor tickets are in the thousands. In the thousands. And now you're gonna get into the secondary market where people are uh kind of they will just inflate the prices. I read yeah. somewhere the other day that a guy already sold four tickets for ten thousand dollars. Like that kind of thing. Are you kidding me? So there you got that going on. But here's what I want to ask you about. Yeah. Now TikTok, Twitter. Instagram, all of these are flooded with teenage girls and, uh, you know, young 20s girls and preteen girls pretty much devastated by not being able to get Taylor That's Swift That's what tickets. I'm wondering. What about the fans now? Yes. So my daughter was great about it. Oh, good. She Praise was, Jesus for your we've, daughter. We've raised her in such a way where she was like, oh, no, you can't pay that much for that. Yeah, that's a good, that's good parenting right there. But speaking of kids and parenting, it did make me think. And maybe you can you can tell me if I'm just the old guy on the lawn here. Like, feel free to be like, hey. OK, OK, let's hear it. It struck me as an indictment upon our culture that oh, yeah. uh, that there was there was an entitlement. Yeah. Amongst teenage girls who thought they were entitled to Taylor Swift tickets. Several hundred dollar Taylor Swift tickets. I will not go into too much detail here, but I know somebody who shared the story about somebody that they knew whose daughter was complaining, middle school daughter complaining that their parents were, quote, only going to spend $500 a ticket. No. So help me process this. I have a daughter who would love to go see Taylor Swift. I would love to take her. Yeah. Pause. Her mother would love to take yes, her. Fair, her father fair. is not but going you're for, to go. You're for them being able I'm to have that experience. Them going yeah, together. Yeah. Uh, but in, am I reading too much into this? This feels maybe we freaked out about things when we were teenagers. But some of the reaction here, where the Today Show is just showing TikTok videos of you know twenty year olds weeping, no, I didn't get ridiculous. Taylor Swift tickets. I feel like this says something about our culture. Absolutely. You know what's funny about this? Yesterday, Kevin preached a sermon on the uh, prodigal son. And, oh, nice. And he talked about how the older son, you know, when he came to you, Dad, you've, I've been here slaving for you, and you haven't even cut open a goat for me or whatever. Yes. He says, Kevin's like, I mean, this is exaggerative language. I want people to hear this. But Kevin uh-huh. is like, I would have smacked that kid. <laughs> like, that's sort of the same yes. privilege. Like, are you kidding me? This is the... But I also think it speaks to our idolatry, like the way we connect with celebrities and we're willing to put our money where our hearts are. I think it tells you something about that. Like, she's meeting a longing in people. And mm-hmm. some of it's just good fun. Like, I want to fun at a Taylor Swift concert. I want to be there. But I also think it speaks of, like... I need to be there for my social media. That gives me status. Yeah. The idolatry of celebrity. And also what you're talking about, which is just straight up privilege. Like, 
to be to be excited to go is totally understandable. To be weeping that you can't go is absurd. Yes. And at the end of the day, Disney Plus is going to put on a Taylor Swift concert and it's we're all going to see it for 9.99 a month or whatever. You know what I mean? Like it will be okay. You will be okay. It's yeah. wild. What you would be saying See, this is going to be inside joke for only people who know Taylor Swift. But what you would be saying to those fans is they need to shake it off. (laughs) (laughs) I just went over the head of like 90%. Those of you with teenage daughters and stuff. I've, you know, we want to constantly remind people planking your own eye before the speck in somebody else's. I probably have some entitlement in my life of, you know, maybe not to this level where I'm crying on social media, but. I deserve this. I deserve that. Uh, about things that are luxuries. Yeah. Um, yeah. How do we know when that's a problem in uh, our life? Such, what do we do about that? Oh, it's such a good question. I'm try- okay, I'm trying to get my head around something I would be up to. I mean, there are things that I would love to have. I would love to have a new treadmill. I would love to have a new couch. Like, But I just know right now those are expenses that our family is choosing to hold off on. Until we can't afford it or there's other things that are more pressing than those things. And if I were to just sit there and like, and I mean, I guess in my worst moments, I probably can sit there and be like, what was me? Pity party. Feel sorry for myself. I can't get my treadmill. But then you have to laugh at yourself because you're like. The privilege perspective on that is so such a first world problem. <laughs> so all that to say, I think I guess the point is one. I do think we maybe need to not take ourselves so seriously, mm-hmm. like laugh a little bit at our own privilege. But then also, I think just to be aware when that stuff creeps up, like what sometimes Kevin will be like, "What's really going on underneath?" When I I'll be redecorating or get booed, he's like, "Are you okay? What's going on in your soul?" But I think that's a question for us to ask. What's going on in my soul? Why am I so discontent? Why is this the thing that's breaking me? And how can I uh, reorient myself so that my greatest love is not Taylor Swift or the treadmill, but the Lord? I think those are just good human questions. We need to laugh at ourselves, but also ask ourselves a hard question. I think the place where I see it manifest itself in my life is not like I deserve that, but that I'm mad that other people can get that. Yeah. So it's the, oh, you have a big house with a pool. I want a big house with or whatever else it might be. I would like a treadmill, one of these types of things. And there gets to be that envy. We're going to talk about this later, about the importance of global missions. We did something at our church yesterday that I want to share about. But this is where that helps, having a global view. Yeah, totally. It does you know? help. Mm-hmm. When you and Kevin spent, or I'm going to ask you some of these questions, when you guys spent a year or whatever uh-huh. in Africa, I don't think you were thinking treadmill. I don't think <laughs> right. you were thinking Taylor Swift. Right, this right. Is, uh, this is right. like we like to say, first world problem. Yeah. So if you're a Swifty out there and you got tickets, congratulations. Congrats you. Sell them to Brian. He'll yeah. buy them from you. <laughs> or, or give them. <laughs> <laughs> Donate them to a pastor in need. We're glad you're with us. It's Monday. It's Thanksgiving week. You're listening to The Common Good. AM 1160. Hope for your life. One of the things that our listeners should know that I'm passionate about and just I think by osmosis, Brian is forced to be passionate about (laughs) that is women in the church, Uh, both women uh, serving in the church and being a part of the church and also the church empowering, pursuing, loving women well. And because of that, we brought on a friend, an author named Erica Anderson Sylvester. She has a new book coming out called Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. Erica, thanks so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much for having me. So um, give us a little bit of just broad picture insight. Why did you decide to write this book? 
Yes. Well, I'm a little bit of a data nerd, so that's really where it started. <laughs> um, I have, yes, I have a background in journalism and I was, I don't even remember what it was, but I was researching something for an article I was writing. And I came upon a couple of statistics that stood out to me in a really powerful way. One of them being that one of the most quickly growing demographics that are leaving the church is Christian women. Mm. And that really stood out to me because I thought, okay, so these are people that identify as Christians, but they're still leaving the church. Um, And then also, second to that, I found some data that said women the thing that women most likely want to improve in their lives is their relationship with God. Mm. And yet in the same survey, it found they are putting that as sort of the last priority. So they're leaving the church at the same time that they want to improve their relationship with God and they're not making a priority. And so I thought this is a group of women that is basically begging to be spoken to, I feel like. Mm. And so I felt in that moment really, I felt kind of like God telling me, this is the book. This is the book that you're supposed to write. Eric, I find that really fascinating because you always hear that it's men who aren't a part of the church or uh, it's men that we have to try to get in the church. And so when I first read your research, I was kind of blown away by it, that the highest rate of people leaving the church right now are Christian women. And I know this is what the entire book deals with, but kind of at a 64,000, you know, foot level or whatever, Why is this happening? Why are women leaving the church uh, at this rate right now? Yes, well, there is no real cut and dry answer where you can point at one thing and say, this is the main reason. Um, But some of the bigger reasons that I found are, um, number one is just sort of like busyness and overwhelm of life. I'm talking to a lot of moms, and a lot of times Sunday morning is the only reprieve in the week that they have. Hmm. It is the only time that there are not a million activities scheduled or things are not super busy. And it's really hard to kind of give up that morning of, you know, freedom, I guess you would say. Hmm. Um, But in general as well, um, just throughout culture as a whole, we know that people, the population in general is leaving church. And that's partly because, you know, Christianity as in cultural Christianity has always been such an important part of like our societal life. And that is increasingly becoming less so. And so going to church is not the sort of habit or the norm that it used to be as part of the, you know, cultural Christianity that so many people live by. And so that's, that's another thing. Um, When you look at say a population like single women in the church um, studies find that a lot of those women Um, are feeling sort of left out by some of the ways churches are focused on traditional families. Um, One of the things that I focus in on is that single moms um, are one of the least likely demographics of women to attend church for a variety of reasons. Hmm. Right. And then also it comes back to women not feeling like um, they are getting sort of the um, getting the input or getting leadership roles that they might want to have. That's another frustration for some women. Um, so it, it is across the board, but all issues that can be addressed, I think, in one way or another. Great. Uh, so good. We're talking with author Erica Anderson about her new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. And that's what I want to actually ask you about, Erica. You make the point very clearly, the church needs women. What can women specifically bring to the church? Well, I think it's just important to remember that God gives Uh, men and women, different gifts, and women uniquely each have their own spiritual gift that God has given them to be a part of the body. And we know that 
Um, the church body is never complete unless all of us are there and participating. And of course, that means the Big C Church. We are all part of the Big C Church as Christians. Our brothers and sisters throughout the world are united. You really can't leave that kind of a church as a Christian. Um, but the local church, the Little C Church, is the smaller entity of that. And within those bodies, I think God has given each of us spiritual gifts to um, ensure that those bodies are equipped and running as well and as smoothly as possible. And when women are not showing up, when we're losing um, some of the very special, unique gifts that um, God has given women, um, those churches are just not going to be as strong. They're not going to be um, as good as they could be because part of the body is missing. So mm. whether that be some kind of uh, you know leadership or teaching role, or maybe it's hospitality, or maybe it's you know discipleship, evangelism, youth, whatever it is, um, God created us each with a purpose, and as Christians, we have a purpose within the church. Mm, that's really right. good. And Erica, uh, let's flip it. And what would you say to the woman out there who's listening right now and going, "Yeah, I don't really need church. I don't." really like church. Everything she's saying, I understand, but I'm out. What would you say to that person right now? Yeah, I mean, one of the key uh, statements or questions that I have, have kind of drawn upon for this book is the one that says, you know, I don't need church to have a relationship with God. And, you know, I affirm that's true. You definitely don't need church to have a relationship with God. Um, but I would argue that you're really missing out on the richness and the blessing of what a relationship with God looks like within a body of believers. Mm. Um, when you look historically at the Bible and you look at how God sort of intended for us to be, um, he's usually referring to a people. So even just thinking about like the Israelites, he, he's always talking about his people. And when we look in Acts, it's like the people were together and they were listening and they were living together. And it's not that you can't hear from God or you can't, you know, work on your relationship with God when you're not in church, but there is something about gathering together where the Holy Spirit shows up in a way that he doesn't otherwise. Mm. I mean, I think of the temple in the Old Testament where, you know, that is where God resided then. Well, nowadays, you know, um, I see the Holy Spirit as sort of not that he doesn't reside outside of the body of believers, but I think there's something really special about when he shows up, when, you know, two or three or more are gathered, um, not not about a building, but just about the people. Um, and he works through our um, our fellow church members. He works. He uses us to help them. And we learn and grow and become more conscious and understanding of his character and who he is because he is better known through one another. Oh, that's so great. And Erica, I, w I think I would just love to hear a little bit about your story. Um, talk mm -hmm. to us about your church experience. I know you said you were, you're a, uh, how did you describe yourself? A data nerd, but I'm guessing this, yeah. this also comes from a heart, a place in you where as a woman, you've experienced something in the church that you long to see different. Can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yes. Um, so I have just a deep love for the local church. I, uh, I grew up going to church and I make a big point in the book of talking a lot about my mom who um, basically took us to church every week for my entire life. Um, even when my dad never came, um, even when it was hard, she'd you know, pack up us three girls, we'd go to church. And of course, at the time, I didn't know why that was significant. And even as I got older, I didn't truly recognize how important it was. But looking back, and especially during the research of this book, I saw what a beautiful foundation that gave me. Mm. And I recognized that every time I went somewhere new in life, 
the first thing I did, like when I moved after college and, and moved back here and all of these things, the first thing I'd always do, find a church. I always felt at home. And I always felt it was so important to be grounded inside the church, because even if I didn't know anybody, I always knew that these were, this was my family. This was my family in Christ. And I, I felt the same way, even when I would go overseas, sometimes I've, I've done multiple trips overseas and just visiting churches um, in different countries. Like it didn't matter if we were speaking a different language. I always felt so, um, so grounded being inside the body of Christ, knowing that we were family. Um, and then in addition to that, I have just had personal experiences where my local church has been there for me and helped me through some really tough times. I write about some of those things in the book. And even though I have church hurt, just like every single person does, um, I am able to see sort of um, how the church came around me, even in, in the aftermath of those kinds of things. And so um, that's, that's sort of where my heart is on all of this. I absolutely love hearing that. I think that's the voice that we need for the church today. Erica Anderson is the author of a new book, Reason to Return, Why Women Need the Church and the Church Needs Women. You can pre-order it today. Erica, where can our people connect with you? Where can they find out more about the book? Yeah, so you can find the book on Amazon or anywhere books are sold, really, but that's the main place. Um, And then my website is just my name, ericaanderson.com, and you can find me really on all the things just by typing in my name, but do note the spelling because it's a little little weird. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we'll make sure that that's in the show notes. Erica, thank you so much for being here with us today. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Aubrey and I are thrilled to be joined by the president of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. His name is Jed Medifin. Jed, how you doing today, bud? Doing real well, Brian. Thank you. Yeah, we're really glad to have you on, and we would love to ask you uh, a little bit more about the Christian Alliance for Orphans. Why don't you tell us a couple different things? How did you get into this organization? And then tell us what is it that the Christian Alliance for Orphans does? Yes. Well, you know, I had previously worked in the political realm, politics and policy, and then I loved that. I worked in the California legislature worked in the White House for President George W. Bush and, and loved that work. But toward the end of that time, I, I had an opportunity to come in and be a part of the Christian Alliance for Orphans. And, and the truth is, I just thought, wow, what a privilege it would be to get to pour my, my days and, and nights sometimes too into work that's, that's seeking to inspire Christians to, to step into that role of caring for, for orphaned and vulnerable children and kids in foster care. So I've been doing this 13 years and, and just so grateful for it. Oh, that's so, so incredible. And of course, our eyes are on Ukraine right now and many of the orphans there and in the surrounding area. Can you give us a picture of what is going on with children in Ukraine currently? Yes. Well, you know, a lot of different things, depending on where in the country children are from. But uh, we, we certainly see you know, a large number of refugees in the surrounding countries, as well as a little bit into Western Europe. And in those cases, of course, the hope is that, um, you know, either their parents or, or some other caring adult or relative can be caring for them, but often, you know, of course, with, with needed support. And so there's a mm-hmm. lot of wonderful organizations doing good work in those surrounding countries. But of course, there still are some, some youth and children in Ukraine. And in those cases, um, there, there are some wonderful organizations within Ukraine serving there on the ground, um, including kids who have been in orphanages and state care. A lot uh, those kids, a lot of them have made it out of the country, but others are still there. And so there's there's just a tremendous amount of work going on both within Ukraine and in surrounding countries. Mm. Mm. 
And Jed, what does orphan care look like in the United States? Like we often do talk about the Ukraine or, or wherever else around the world. Uh, could you paint a picture for what the situation is like at home here? Yes. Yes. So, you know, of course, a lot of times we think of an orphan as a child who's lost both parents. Mm. And sometimes that's the case. But really, when you when you look at the biblical language and, of course, all throughout Scripture, you see, uh, you know, people of faith, God's people called to care for orphans or care for the fatherless. And really what what that's getting at is this idea of the child who lacks the protection and care that God intends the, the family to provide. And, and so sometimes that's through the death of the parents and the child becomes, you know, a full orphan in a sense. But other times there may be a serious uh, situation of abuse or serious neglect or, or just some other factor where the family has fallen apart and those parents are, are unable to provide that care. And so that, that child, whether, you know, on the streets in Africa, in an orphanage in Ukraine, or in the U.S. foster system, uh, these, these are the kids that, that we believe God calls his people to pay special care for. And so, as I mentioned, in the U.S., that's, that's especially kids in the foster system. There's about 400,000 on any given day. They've been removed from their families, initially temporarily, with the hope that that family can be restored. And so, um, you know, we, we really, as the Christian Alliance for Orphans, are both calling Christian families and, and, and others to step up and welcome these children in often temporarily, but also when it's possible to support those families, uh, the biological families, hoping that they can get back together and receive those children home. Mm. And Jed, obviously, uh, you know, we know, those of us who are followers of Jesus know that God's heart is deeply invested in the plight of orphaned and vulnerable children. And as his followers, this feels like something we ought to be doing something about. And I, I just wonder how can the church better partner with organizations like yours that are doing orphan care? Mm-hmm. Yes. Well, you know, there are, there are organizations in just about every community in the country who are serving children in foster care at different points in that, whether, you know, through, through foster placements in homes, mentoring children as, as CASAs or in other ways, helping youth who are aging out into adulthood, mentoring them and walking with them through that process as well as working with biological families that either at risk of losing their children to the foster system or perhaps already have, and the hope is to reunite them. And so these, these wonderful organizations are working around the country, and, and there's opportunities to, to partner with those organizations locally. Um, and so I'd say, A, working with the local organizations, but B, this is a vision that, that it, it can be lived out within the local church in such a beautiful way, because, you know, when, when of course, when anytime we open our lives and our hearts, perhaps even our home, to individuals who've known a lot of hurt in their lives, we're probably going to share in that hurt with them. Mm. You know, when, when we welcome in a child in foster care or perhaps a sibling group, we're going to know some of the pain that they've gone through as, as we walk with them through uh, the, the experiences of their lives. So we, we need to know that it's going to be beautiful, but it's mm-hmm. going to be really hard. And that's why we need the whole church community walking this together. It's you know, not everyone is, is going to foster or adopt necessarily, but everyone can support these families, support the foster families, support the adoptive families, and support biological families as they're trying to reunite. Mm. Jed, you bring up foster care, and I know I, I've got some friends who've done foster care, and it, it can be really great, but also really hard. And so what are the questions people should ask themselves if right now they're thinking, yeah, I'm interested in, in fostering kids. I want to be part of the solution like that. What are the questions people should be asking of themselves before they start fostering kids? 
Yeah. Well, one of the first ones I'd say is, um, you know, am I willing to disrupt my life? Mm. Because it, it really will turn a lot of your patterns of life uh, upside down. And so, you, you know, you need to know you're signing up for that. And at some moments it become, you know, can be, be very, very difficult, both in the sense of, you know, caring for a child who, who perhaps has known a lot of hurt, but, but also just dealing with the system itself. The system is full of people who, who got into the work really wanting to make a difference, um, but, but they're tangled in a lot of broken situations as well, you know, sometimes overwhelmed. And so as you're dealing with that system and all of its processes and the meetings you need to be at and things, all of those things, they're going to turn your life upside down a bit. And so you need to say, hey, am I willing to do that, A? Um, but then I would say the deeper question underneath that is also, what do I want to live my life for? Mm-hmm. Because, you know, if it's, if it's just if we want our lives tidy, orderly, comfortable, convenient, then foster care really isn't the place for us. You right. know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but if we say, you know what, I want to follow Jesus into the world's hard places, because I know that's, that's something he especially cares about. And I know I trust that if I follow him there, I will share in some of that hurt. But I will also share in some wonderful things mm. with him that I simply couldn't find uh, just in, in a comfortable, mm. convenient life. And so I think those two questions, am I willing to let my life be turned upside down? But also, what ultimately do I want to live my life for? Yeah, those are great questions. Judd, can you tell us a little bit more about how we can get connected or find out more about Christian Alliance for Orphans and how our listeners can connect with you? Yes, well, we would certainly invite anyone to our website, which is kfo.org, C-A-F-O.org. And uh, there's a lot of information on there, including about different organizations, uh, committed, you know, trustworthy Christian organizations working in Ukraine and surrounding countries. There's also information there about what's what we call the More Than Enough initiative. And More Than mm-hmm. Enough is really an effort to ensure that in every county in the whole country, there will be enough well-supported families for every child in foster care, whether that's, you know, foster families, adoptive and kinship families and, and restored biological families and, and support in local churches for that. So if, if folks are introduced, interested in learning about either of those or, or any of the other work uh, that this wonderful community is doing, uh, visit us at kfo.org. Again, uh, Jed Metafind is the president of Christian Alliance for Orphans. Jed, thanks so much. You guys are doing God's work. We appreciate learning more about it. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Brian and Aubrey. Great to be with you. It's Monday evening. It's pitch black out there. I'm going back to my house that is decorated with Christmas lights. I saw your tree is up. You did. The tree is up. You know what we haven't done yet? We normally take a family Christmas photo where we're all stacked on a ladder by the tree, and we got to get our family photo ready. So uh, a little update for us. I told you, A, uh, my wife and I were discussing whether to do a uh, fake tree or a real tree. Yes. Because what did our you fake, decide? Our fake tree from last year finally bit the dust. That's right. I forgot about this. Uh, so, oh, your question for me is what did I decide? Yes. What did the uh, Fromm household decide? Fake I don't know. Or real? I came home the other day and there was a big box on the oh! front of our front stoop. So <laughs> the Amazon? decision was made. Yes. <laughs> hey. So, which is fine. And then I also told you I'm not a big fan of too early setting it up. Yes. But my wife was saying, 
uh, you know, our daughter's home for Thanksgiving. Yeah. We'd love to have her be a part of it. Yeah. So I do believe the tree is going up this weekend. <gasps> it, now, is it going up with her so she can help decorate it, though? Oh, of course. Your daughter from of college? Course. Okay, yes, fun, yes, fun, yes. fun, fun, fun. That's well, why we would do it this early. Yesterday, I don't know what happened. I just got, like, a burst of energy yesterday. And we did, I wasn't going to do all of our outside lights until, like, after Thanksgiving. And the weather's sort of creeping up, you know, temperature-wise a little bit. But I got a burst of energy and just got the whole outside of the house decorated yesterday, too. So we are officially you really? Christmas my, is decorated, done, bins neighbor, put away. We're ready. My across the street neighbor over the weekend, uh, we could see in their window that they put up their Christmas tree. And then when my son and I were leaving, we went to a football game this weekend. We were walking out of the house and uh, my neighbor was out front decorating the house. And uh, I just yelled to him like, hey, and he takes his earphones off. He's like, what? I'm like, hey. And I just said to him, I said, you're embarrassing the rest of us. <laughs> I said, slow it. He just laughed. That's good. Like, yeah. Slow it down. That's good. All the, all, everyone's watching you going, why is my husband out there putting up the Christmas life? I feel like you're you're like that funny neighbor guy who always has a good quip to yell at the neighbor across the street. That's fun. I like that. I like neighborly Brian. I'll be that neighbor. That's yeah, fun. Neighborly Brian. I like that. Well, okay. Before Christmas, even though my house is ready for it, before Christmas is, of course, Thanksgiving Many of us gathering with family, friends, loved ones, some of us spending Thanksgiving by ourselves, either sadly or even on purpose in some situations, all kinds of situations this Thanksgiving. What are your hopes, dreams, prayers, expectations for Thanksgiving this year, Brian? I know eating a lot of good food. Eating a lot. My favorite football football team is on this week, although, man, a lot of Giants got hurt in the game yesterday. Made me really a lot less uh, anxious, a lot less excited for uh, Thursday's game. Now I'm like, oh, now my Thanksgiving's going to get ruined oh, watching this no. game. But anyway, I am excited to watch it. Uh, just excited to spend time with uh, with family. I'm most excited that my daughter's coming in yeah, town. Yeah, that's right? awesome. Like, this is my first Thanksgiving with a college student coming home. Mm-hmm. But of course, you know, I've been talking about it for weeks. The turkey, the gravy, the, yeah. mashed, the gravy, the mashed potatoes. The, the sweet potatoes. Sweet potatoes, the rolls, those yeah. warm rolls, all of it. I can't wait. Like, yeah. I love that meal. Uh, that is a good got a meal. little insight that there might be a cherry pie where we're going, <gasps> Ooh, and fun. that has increasingly become my favorite oh. dessert. Oh. So yes, the food, the food, the food, but just the fun. And you know, you were off for a couple days. Yeah, right? that's nice. Just being getting to be off for a we're few off days. From yeah. the show, we're off from uh, you know, my I don't need to go into church. All of these mm-hmm. types of things. So also just. Slowing down, yeah. kids aren't in school. Yeah. Just enjoying it. Thanksgiving I know it's going to awesome. be really nice. Be we great. do have some best of shows for you later this week. That'll and they be are, really, they really are fun. good. They, they are, are really, of. really good. Well, we wanted to share a Thanksgiving prayer with you. This is from a place called churchleaders.com. This prayer was written by Sam Luce. And I think it's a Thanksgiving prayer to remind you of everything God has provided through Jesus Christ. So Brian and I are going to take turns praying this prayer over you again from Sam Luce. God, thank you for who you are. Remind me today of my limits in prayer, in love, and in Christian service. Remind me today of your limitlessness in love, in goodness, and in forgiveness. Yeah, thank you for Jesus. Remind me of the power of the cross, of my need for the cross, of the reach of the cross, of the totality of the cross. Oh, the wonders of God in the cross of Christ. Help me today never forget your benefits and my sins, your beauty and the ways I betray such beauty for selfish gain, your bounty and my need, your blessing and my want. Thank you for salvation. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the million ways you protect, you provide, you preserve 
of which I am only aware of two or three. That's so true. Preserve me that my life may be a praise of your mercy. Protect me that my ways may be a testimony of your power. Provide for me that I may confess my lack and your unending sufficiency all the day of my life. And thank you for the Holy Spirit, my helper, my guide and revealer of Christ. Thank you for Jesus crucified, risen, ascended and coming again. Thank you, Father, you are, you are and always will be, that you are all in all for the glory of your name. Amen. Amen. Such a beautiful, beautiful, that is beautiful. prayer. We hope that blesses you this Thanksgiving week. One of the things that stood out to me, Brian, was that you provide and preserve of which ways of which I'm only aware of two or three. Two or three. It's so true. Like, I feel like that's one of those things. If we were to see all the way that God is protecting us and moving and providing, we would be so moved by God's goodness. But I do think so often we're able to only in our finite little eyes, able only to see a couple ways God has is showing up. And those feel like miracles, but we don't even see all the things God is doing. That's right. That's right. And, uh, you know, Thanksgiving is a great time to go, okay, uh, I'm going to slow down. Mm -hmm. I'm going to allow myself to think about what am I thankful for? Yeah. What am I, uh, what do I... Passover. What do mm. I not think about? Like, don't just run through this coming week with just turkey, 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 right? Like football. <laughs> but allow yourself to be reminded of all the all that God has done in your life. Even if it's been a hard year, you yeah. have things to be thankful for. You have things to think on and dwell on. And I, I think it would do us all well to make sure we take that sort of time this week. Yeah, I think I think that's really a good reminder. Spend some time, whether it's around your Thanksgiving table as a family. My mom is one of those people who likes to do like, tell us one oh, thing really? you're thankful for. Uh-huh. She makes the kids do it, too. My kids are always like, I'm thankful for screen time, you know. Um, or on your own, your like, that yeah, like their that's voice? their voice. Exactly. <laughs> or on your own, when you're in your quiet time with the Lord or in your journaling time, just note some things that you're thankful for this holiday season. I think that's a good, a good thing to do, of course, how on do, this Thanksgiving holiday. Real fast, how would you suggest people grow and think or express mm. thankfulness when they've had a really bad year? Really Man, hard year? Yeah, I I love that question because I think a lot of us feel like we've had a really bad year and it's hard to know. I, I do think this is why journaling and little bullet point lists are just a practical way to be like, boom, thank you that I woke up today. Boom. Thank mm. you that I have clothes to wear. Boom. Thank you that I have a new Christmas tree to decorate with. Yeah. Thank you that I have family that I'm gathering with. Thank you that I don't have to be with my family this year. Like, <laughs> I mean, I really like like in some in some ways you kind of have to mine your life for Agreed. the goodness of God or else you might miss it. And not even realizing that like the very breath you breathe is a gift to be thankful for. The health in your body is something to be thankful for the people around you your church community, your neighborhood, your home, your blankets that keep you warm. Like there's so many things. And I think just that, that very intentional practice of remembering, like, again, we, it's been said many times that one of the most common words in the Bible is remember, remember, Mm -hmm. remember God's people are constantly called to remember how God has been faithful to them in their own lives, but also throughout history, like proven himself a faithful God. So I would say that is one way to start. Grab a journal and just start bullet, like don't even overthink it. Just start bullet bullet pointing the things around you that you see that you're thankful for. And the fact that you're even able to have a journal and a pen or your phone and your notes and can do that. Those are things to be thankful for as well. And then I think what's beautiful about Thanksgiving is 
Thanksgiving begets more Thanksgiving. Like That's as right. you practice having a grateful heart, as you practice gratitude as part of your just daily walk with God and your daily disciplines, you'll find that your heart begins to overflow more and more with thankfulness because there is so much to be thankful for. That's right. So we hope that encourages you as you kick off this Thanksgiving week. Brian and I will be back again tomorrow from 4 to 6 p.m. For Brian Fromm, I'm Aubrey Sampson, and you've been listening to The Common Good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.